welcome, welcome. This is the Earthology Podcast. This is such an incredibly powerful episode, our very first Sun Harmony episode. Our mission at the Earthology Podcast is to support and facilitate the ending of all illusions of disconnect with our natural world and natural selves, natural being. My name is Gabrielle Jafir, your host. I am an embodiment facilitator, a creator, and intuitive, a humble student in this ever-expansive and deepening journey of understanding of what it means to be a modern people, the wisdom of our natural world, what it means to decolonize and deprogram ourselves, how to live in resonance with our own truth and in rhythm with the natural cycles. Oh, yeah. I am a student of all of that. So in this podcast, we are responding to the modern people's deep need and demand for connection, grounded and meaningful culture, and reconnection, harmonization to ourselves and our natural world. And so we are continuing the global tradition of exploring what it means to live in harmony with the rhythms and cycles of our seasons and nature. But not just our external nature is in, you know, like our earth and our world, but also our own resonant nature of inner being, our humanity. And we do this to develop grounded and practical insight to support ourselves to navigate these times consciously and to help you navigate this time consciously on your journey. Hello, brothers, sisters, and others. Thank you for being here. So incredibly grateful to have your presence and attention. This is fantastically powerful work. This is about laying the foundation to creating deep, deep connection to our earth and ourselves in a way that our modern culture just doesn't offer right now. People around the world are so desperate for connection, for reconnection to magic, but more specifically, a culture that carries deep purpose and substance, both spiritually and pragmatically. So if that resonates with you, you are in the right place. So as we say at the beginning of every episode, our intention is to support people to come to their own truth. We are not here to proselytize or create another hierarchical system to replace your own knowing. This is just one interpretation and representation of the truth. And our intention above everything is to be a catalyst for you to find your own practice and your own truth. So take what resonates, leave what doesn't, and always reference your own inner discernment and knowing before anything else. So this is a very special episode that we call a Sun Harmony Report, where we are attuning to the solar cycle on the earth and in our lives. So Sun Harmony Reports are produced every solstice, equinox, and cross-quarter point, where there are significant and relevant shifts in the earth's energy in relationship to the sun and our physical and energetic realities. So this episode is a bit special, like I said before, because we are including the moon rhythm report for this chapter since the new moon was literally the day after the solstice and much of what this next chapter is about is deeply deeply influenced by the solstice but almost 
more importantly, this eclipse that we just had, this full solar eclipse. Oh my God. In this episode, we get into so many different things. We are going to talk about the global historical relevance of living in harmony with natural cycles. We're going to talk a little bit about archaeology on a scientific, technical uh, perspective. We're going to get into the spiritual. We're going to talk about what's going to happen in our world pragmatically. We're going to talk about some very important tools in terms of owning this incredibly powerful space that we've been in and talk about intention setting. Uh, We're going to get into some really powerful conversations around the stages and places that we are moving into. Oh my gosh, I'm so incredibly excited. So, so excited. This is what I have been wanting to do for so incredibly long. In the future, there will be probably specific episodes about a lot of the topics that we cover. And in this episode, it is a big episode because we cover a lot of ground, but it is so good and so powerful. So get ready. One last thing before we jump in is that the Earthology podcast is brought to you by the Illum Collective. Check us out. Follow us on Instagram at the Illum Collective to find out more about how we are working to support people to lead more consciously empowered lives. Hey guys, I'm recording this after the fact as I edit this episode. And since this is such a big episode with a lot of information, I wanted to make sure that we don't lose you along the way and really want to make sure that you hear and get the parts that are going to serve you the most. So I want you to know that I've created a list of timestamps in the description box of this episode to help you navigate. So feel free to jump forward or jump back to different sections. Although I highly recommend you listen to the whole episode because it's good. Okay, back to it. Okay, so the first thing we're going to talk about is the global importance in the past, in the present, and in the future of this work. So to start off, every earth people had a connection to the solar and lunar cycles. They all had some way of tracking, acknowledging, or working with, honoring these cycles, such as the solstices, the equinoxes, lunar and solar eclipses, the phases of the moon. And looking at the history that we have access today around the globe, which is not all of it, but I'll get into that later, the solstice was absolutely crucial in Earth people's culture, both in their spiritual practices, also their pragmatic lives. We know this because there is a vast array of tangible evidence and information that we won't quite get into full depth of in this episode, but sufficient to say that archaeology, specifically archaeoastronomy, which is the interdisciplinary study of how past peoples have understood the phenomena in the sky and how these past peoples use these phenomena, what role the sky and the different celestial elements, the sun, the moon, the planets, played in their culture. These approaches have a Assisted in revealing that the solar and the lunar movements and energies were of paramount importance on many different levels to cultures and people around the globe. It's in our DNA, people. <laughs> 
this is very, very important because what we have to realize is that our lineages would construct themselves around these elements and cycles. So on a pragmatic scale, we're talking they use them for their navigation, their relationship to time, their calendars, time being one of the most powerful elements of magic and life. They were all designed around these moments. Also their myths, the most potent and universal form of a people's collective wisdom were formed around these these aspects. Their cities, I mean, a lot of ancient cities we now know were constructed to be in alignment with different celestial events. And almost more importantly, I want to say, spiritually, their shrines, temples, spiritual practices were constructed to align with solar and lunar events in many, many different cases. I mean, we're talking Egypt with the Great Pyramids, Stonehenge, Glastonbury, Chaco Canyons, the Mayans, Aztecs, the Celts, the tribes people of Europe, the people of China, Africa, everywhere. And the layers that I mentioned are only the tangible evidence that we've discovered so far. Little side thought. If you've ever been pulled to sacred ancient sites, know that part of their energetic power and resonance is directly connected to solar and lunar events, and perhaps that's what contributes to the tangible power of these places and their allure. It's a sense of being called back to something that we know. I discovered this quote from an archaeologist. Her name is Megan Kassenbaum, and she's from the Penn Museum. And I feel like this quote starts to point at the poignancy and the power of what I'm trying to get at. She said this, To me, these are the phenomena that I, as an archaeologist, find the most interesting. Now, here's the good part. If something has persisted for close to 10,000 years now, that seems to be getting at something almost innate, something universal that we recognize and share. Unquote. Here's the thing. Number one, the fact that the majority of the world's earth people, previous to the birth of the Roman Empire in the West and organized religion in other parts of the world, that the people's wisdom and truths were transmitted throughout the culture and throughout generations via oral traditions from what is now called North America to what is now called Syria and everywhere else, much of the earth's people wisdom was embodied and passed down through oral tradition, not written down. I guess it's also very important to mention that in a lot of these cases, maybe some of these traditions and wisdom and knowledge was written down, but it was recorded on materials that have not survived, have decayed with time. The other thing that we have to think about is the global conquests that have happened to earth people around the world. And specifically, how much of the information that they possessed whether it was in oral or written form, was wiped out completely. Did you know that before Constantine and Christianity in Europe, there were over 650 different indigenous tribes throughout what we now call Europe, and that they each spoke their own language? 650! That's incredible! Areas of South America, Africa, all these places, all of these people show examples of the solstice and of other solar and lunar events as playing an important role in their lives and their worlds. Most of these were oral tradition cultures. And the reason that I mention that is because 
why we don't have a plethora of information regarding how important this work that we're doing with orthology, so how important the solstice is or any solar lunar cycles are, and or how to attune to what these times, their energy, their spiritual significance is, because they were oral traditions, For many of us, that means our lineages have been wiped out. Now, there are people that continue to live these traditions, but they have not been completely spared from global conquests of domination. I was listening to a talk recently where an archaeologist was saying that the significance of celestial events, of the solar or lunar cycles, eclipses, etc., were never just ceremonial that the division between religion and pragmatism is a modern and Western notion, uh, which I just find really interesting and important to, to mention. Again, so how many of these cultures have been wiped out? Like the Mayans or the Chacoans, where we lack a more complete context of their culture and because of a lack of written material. This is so important. Why? Because it speaks to how. Because of the lack of surviving referential materials, we have easily become disassociated and disconnected as a modern people. If we have no one to teach us and nothing to ancestrally connect to, then it makes it nearly impossible to bring that power and that wisdom into a living reality, especially when there have been so many institutions and structures that have worked to disconnect us from true nature and true being from our earth and from ourselves. That's not even getting into a conversation about how, you know, present day capitalism, industrialism, hierarchy, patriarchy, also living in an organized religion paradigm um, has played a major role in our disconnect. That's for another episode, another time. Oh my gosh, but I get so fired up about this stuff. Now, some people might say, well, look to the cultures where the written word preserved this wisdom. I mean, part of the reason for the hegemony and dominance of Greek and Roman cultural understanding of the world that has embedded itself in modern cultural institutions like politics, philosophy, and holidays is due simply to the fact that their oral traditions were transmitted to a written form of communication. But here's the thing. Even they were not spared. They were some of the first in the Western world to be dominated and inundated by Christianity or other organized religions that systematically sought the elimination of people's connection to spirit and true source to nature. Think of it, the thousands and thousands of manuscripts that were burned or lost when organized religion came forward that spoke to the earth people's wisdom. Not just in now what we consider Europe, Iraq, Iran, Turkey, Syria, the native people of North America, Africa. Can you imagine if the wealth of wisdom and information of the rest of the world's earth people had survived? So going back (laughs) to what the archaeologist Megan Kassenbaum said, that it seems to be getting at something almost innate, something universal that we recognize and share. Don't you think that that's a big part of what people are longing for when we want to reconnect with source and self? That these, these practices that are in all people's lineage? Yeah. I think so. So if you feel that, if you feel the importance of this in your belly and your chest, yeah, that's what this work of earthology is about. Woo! Okay, 
Oh boy, there is so much that I could get into. Let's save that for other episodes. I think I said what I needed to say to give you context of where I'm coming from. So now we're going to shift gears. Let's get into the practical. Let's talk about a scientific understanding of what's really going on, a very pragmatic, practical level. The reason why it's important to talk about what is physically going on is that often the movement or action of a particular natural event, like you know the solstice or the change of the seasons, speaks to its resonant character and energy, its meaning in our lives and its significance. So while you listen to this, pay attention to if you get any little internal intuitive communications about it and pay attention to those, write them down because those communications are the awarenesses that tend to be your soul speaking to you and the most powerful for you and are the most easily integrated into your own practice. Here's the other thing. The reason we talk about the practical is because it shapes our reality. This is not just some woo-woo thing about connecting with nature. These occurrences in our environment, in our lives, have real effects on how we live our lives, our activities, our mental spaces, our emotions. Science has shown this, people. It hasn't shown everything, but it's definitely provided pretty irrefutable evidence that suggests that our environment plays a huge role in determining the phases and spaces of being that we go through being a human on this planet. All right, so there are two simultaneous realities to solstice or any solar shift, the Northern Hemisphere and the Southern Hemisphere. We have to remember that the earth is always existing simultaneously in the dark and the light space. And I love this awareness so incredibly much because this speaks to the power of duality, the power of the light and the dark that is ever present here on the planet that is so tangible. I love how tangible that is. So there are two solstices throughout the solar cycle and today we are going to focus on only the summer solstice in the northern hemisphere, known as the winter solstice in the southern hemisphere. It's also called the Estival Solstice, also called the Northern Solstice. Even more specifically, the solstice that occurs in the Gregorian calendar's month of June, around the 21st or the 22nd of that month, (laughs) or... As I actually prefer to orient, it occurs in the 8th or the ninth moon cycle of the natural year in Earthology, which if you're not familiar, Earthology's new year starts November 1st rather than January 1st. The reason of which is for another juicy episode, but it has to do with aligning with natural rhythms and cycles of our Earth instead of some arbitrary moment in January. You feel me? Yeah. <laughs> so in English, the word solstice comes from the Latin word sol, which is sun, and sistere, meaning to come to a complete stop or standstill. So technically sun still. This is because during the solstice time, the sun appears to stop moving in its declination on the horizon, which means that the sun appears to stop moving in its progressive movement along the horizon. I guess I shouldn't be necessarily super surprised, but I kind of was to find out that a lot of people don't know this. The sun does not rise and set in the same place every day throughout the year. You'd be surprised how many people I've spoken to who didn't know that, which is okay. It's okay. Anyway, 
This sun stillness can represent a lot of different things. Stillness is powerful. It's the pause before the storm. But in this case, it's not a storm, but a massive, massive shift. They mark the shifts in our seasonal realities. So to get into the nitty gritty, this solstice occurs when the Earth's North Pole has its maximum tilt toward the sun. But it's important to note that Contrary to popular belief, the Earth is actually farthest from the Sun at this time because of the Earth's elliptical orbit, which is not a perfect circle, and the Earth's maximum axial tilt towards the Sun is 23.44 degrees. So likewise, what that means is that the Sun's declination from the celestial equator is also 23.44 degrees. So the summer solstice point the moment is when the sun reaches its northernmost position and is directly overhead of the Tropic of Cancer, whereas in the winter solstice, the sun is directly over the Tropic of Capricorn. Now, it's important to note that the solstice doesn't happen when the sun, for example, is in the northernmost uh, position of your sky. It happens at the same time around the world. The moment it reaches Again, the direct overhead point of the Tropic of Cancer. So it happens at the same moment around the world. And I think that's a beautiful image just to think of this like global shift that happens simultaneously. So I recommend looking up though when the exact moment occurs in your time zone put it in your calendar. Make sure to include the exact time because what you can do then is kind of orient yourself to this incredible moment. You can have, I don't know, set some time aside to do some meditation or have a ritual or just even acknowledging it is so powerful because what we're talking about is a global shift. And I promise you, the more you kind of attune to it, the more powerful it will become, the less subtle it will be. <laughs> An aspect that I think is kind of beautiful in terms of its visual, but also its energetic significance is that during this summer solstice within the Arctic Circle, there is continuous daylight for 24 hours. And in the Southern Antarctic, there's continuous night. That's just kind of a beautiful image to think about um, in terms of the, the top and bottom of our Earth, just in the full embodiment of the light in the dark. So what most people are familiar with with all of this is that on the solstice we have the longest day of the solar year and the shortest night in the northern hemisphere and in the southern hemisphere they have the longest night and the shortest day now the day after the solstice is when things begin to shift the earth's tilt begins to shift and either the days or the nights begin to increase and that is how we define this transition of the seasons. So while the equinoxes divides the 12 months, or as an earthology, we prefer to say 12 moon cycles, because let's be real, Gregorian calendar is connected to no natural cycles or anything and is a man-made construction. <laughs> but the 12 moon cycles that make up a solar year into two distinct phases. Now this is the equinox, not the solstice, but it's six moons within the seasonal realm of darkness and six moons within the seasonal realm of the light. Now the solstice marks the transition point between the phase of light and the phase of darkness. In other words, the solstice marks the seasonal beginnings of the two transition seasons of the year, the spring and the fall. 
which can be seen as the seasons where the earth and the energies on the earth are transitioning from full light or full darkness into the opposite, which is why we say that the summer solstice is actually both the decline of summer and the incline of autumn, because the day after the solstice is where the nights begin to gradually increase in length until the equinox, or decrease in length until the equinox, depending on where you are. So after the equinox is when we enter full autumn phase in the northern hemisphere, and where you will enter full spring phase in the southern hemisphere. So that's about as technical as I feel to get in this episode, and there's actually a lot within what we just talked about to kind of meditate on, because within the lines of the technical descriptions that we just went through are hints about the mythic, the spiritual, and the energetic aspects that are very powerful and what we connect to and experience in our lives. So as we discussed a bit in the beginning of this episode, this time is relevant to people and cultures around the world for good reason. And so correspondingly, there are plenty of other names for the day of the solstice. So you can research those names. There's a lot of interesting information and insight in terms of traditions and rituals um, associated with that that I highly recommend. So before we jump into this solstice this time and everything that's going on, we need to talk about what the heart of the solstice is. And that is our relationship to the sun. And that is a huge, constantly evolving conversation. I will probably be making an entire episode or a few episodes dedicated to that. But what I feel to communicate to you, which is in line with our mission, which is to empower you to find your own truth, is that in order to contextualize a lot of this, this huge energetic shift that we're going through, you need to have some understanding of what the sun, its energy, and its phases is to you. What I want to recommend right now, without getting into a bunch of information about the sun, is just to encourage you to spend some time feeling into what the sun energy is to you, or adding to your understanding if you've already begun that journey. And while a lot of people turn to different traditions and mythologies to give them understanding of what the sun represents, I just want to take a moment to encourage you to prioritize connecting to and defining it for yourself because there isn't anything more powerful than your own communication and it's a big part of our collective movement towards true sovereignty over our connection with the earth and with spirit the thing about these elements is they cannot be defined (laughs) And I could go on a whole rant about that. But all of these things evolve. All of these things shift and change. If we've learned anything about history and, you know, the definition of certain things in history is that they change. Everything is flexible. Oh, so many things. Generally, you will find themes related to the sun in terms of it being a masculine force. Shiva, the spark and force of life, the activator, action within creation, seed, uh, form, externalized being, personality, ego. Although in some cultures, I mean like in German language, the sun is feminine and the moon is masculine. Um, I found some really interesting information about this, uh, again, to just kind of drive home my point of like subjectivity and that none of these things are solid or right or wrong. I mean, in many religions, there are male sun gods, but they actually appeared later on the historic scene when male priesthoods 
became dominant over the older priestess hoods of the sun goddess. So they tried to downgrade the power of the feminine, again, this was a big systemic movement that happened all over the world, by assigning it to the moon of lesser light. And they claimed the power, the, the brightness of the sun for themselves, for the masculine. And that is why later Sanskrit-related languages, for example, Latin, Greek, French, Italian, uh, Portuguese, assign a masculine gender to the sun and a feminine to the moon. Whereas in older languages of the same kind of Indo-European family, for example, Sanskrit, German, and old, um, I think it's Goidelic is how you say it. Um, the moon is masculine and the sun is feminine. So similarly, in very ancient pre-Babylonian Sumerian tongue, the word for moon is explicitly masculine as it is in Arabic in which the word for, um, for sun is feminine. So that's what I'm saying. Your interpretation is the only thing that matters. It's all flexible. It's all, you know, we live in a world of duality and we are moving away from that. There's multidimensional aspects to every being and creature and celestial element, right? So we're moving into the embodiment of the waning of the sun, if you are in the Northern Hemisphere, or, or the uh, the dominance of the sun, if you're in the Southern Hemisphere. And that, that energy, that waxing or waning energy is going to be dominant until the equinox, which is on September 22nd. So what to focus on right now is what does the waxing or the waning of the sun's energy feel like to you? All right, you guys, so now we are about to get into the real heart and juiciness of this episode, which is to talk about, ah, oh, let's get into the attunement of everything that's been going on, where we've been and where we are moving to. So we're going to look at what's been going on in our world. What does this mean for you, your relationships, your projects, your energetic experience, your physical experience, everything. So before we do that, I just want to take a moment to harmonize with you guys, to bring ourselves into the present moment, to bring our attention and our awareness into this moment so that we can truly have this information. So I don't know if you're washing the dishes or you're kind of doing other things or if you're driving in your car, whatever you're doing, let's just take a moment, drop what you're doing, close your eyes if you can, although if you're driving, please don't. <laughs> And let's just come all here right now because you deserve to have this information. You deserve to have this moment. Deep breath. Now take your right hand and just kind of rub your chest down into your solar plexus and your belly. You can rub your arms, taking both hands and just kind of rubbing them over the upper part of your body, down to your legs if you can, your face. Stretch your face. <sighs> Exhale. Mm. Yeah, just oh, I want to take a moment. Let's come in. Let's kind of get out of the rational mind and come into the deeper knowing space because that's where we can really receive. Hmm. Just set the intention. May this serve the highest truth. 
and just a moment of gratitude as well. Thank you, thank you, thank you again for being here. All right, so we're going to jump into the super juicy side of things. And just to say again, we've combined this Sun Harmony Solstice slash Equinox episode with the New Moon Rhythm Report because so much of what we will be experiencing during this New Moon chapter directly is influenced by the energies and themes of this solstice and of this eclipse. And, you know, we'll get more into that a bit later. So the solstice space marks the end of a six moon cycle chapter that started back in December. So this period in the Northern Hemisphere was about the light space and in the Southern Hemisphere was in the dark space. But regardless, it was insanely powerful. For a lot of people, it was out of the frying pan and into the fire. I personally don't think I have ever lived through a time where people that I know and people that I would hear about had more stuff coming up or shit hitting the fan or massive rapid transformations or changes in their life happen in rapid succession and all at once and just super spontaneous, super intense. Just everything and anything on the spectrum of things that could happen that were big and transformational and shook us. That's what was going on. Now, what's really, really interesting is that in both spaces, so like the the light space and the, the dark space, there's an element of both of those spaces that is really focused within the current dualistic paradigm that we live in on the individual development. That's what it's been for years. So in the light space, it's been about the individuation of the self and the ego and the outward expression of our self. Also very much has been a theme of separating out from the collective. Now, whereas in the dark space, it's about going in and who am I and what am, what's dying within me and what, you know, there's been all of this emphasis within this current paradigm on the individual. But in both spaces, we were forced to integrate aspects and harmonize to collective realities, collective energies, collective shifts. I saw what I want to call a poignant birth of empathy seen throughout the world. Empathy is one of the most powerful states of knowing. Most people would say, oh no, it's wisdom or knowledge. And it's actually not because empathy demands that we surrender our ego. We surrender our own experience to reach out to and to fully understand and comprehend the experience of the other. What that has done for all of us is suddenly our behavior is shown to us in in clear light as to where it is serving only the hyper-individualistic self or where it is serving the collective, the other. What we can do to adjust our behavior and our practices and our lifestyle and our politics and our systems to facilitate other realities. I mean... We could talk about what these last six months have been, these last six moons, and all of the themes, the changes, the transformations for hours. 
You know, actually, in fact, I did record a version where I went into specifics, but it just didn't feel right for several reasons, but mainly because I felt to use this as an opportunity to actually bring it back to you. You know, one of the main things about orthology is empowering you to come to your own answers and your own truth and your own resonance. And so I wanted to teach you guys one of the most powerful techniques and practices that I have ever found. And it relates to consciously navigating time and your experience, being empowered in your experience. So, you know, a big part of earthology, like I've said many times, is about consciously navigating time through bringing conscious awareness and attention to the different stages of the cycles of life. So the beginnings, the processes, and the endings. What that looks like is a combination of attuning to and defining those stages within the cycles of our lives. And then more specifically, taking the time to reflect, process, reframe, integrate, bring into present time, and then allow all of the awareness that you gain from from all of that to be the space from which you look into the next chapter and you set goals, intentions from that grounded space, from that awareness into what comes next, into the next chapter. I could talk for hours about the importance of consciously navigating the stages and chapters that we go through because I swear it's one of the hugest reasons that modern people feel so disconnected from themselves and their power and their purpose. I've got this project developing. It's called the Rhythm and Harmony Method, and we go into that so deeply, so excited. So I want to encourage you to do this practice to honor what has been one of the most powerful past six moons, past year, because it will prepare you to step into this next chapter with so much clarity and awareness and power. Now remember that this exercise can both be the ending of a six moon cycles. So you can go all the way back and reflect from the winter solstice till now. It can also be that you go back for a three moon period cycle or a three month cycle, which would take you back to the spring equinox. So it's up to you for how far back you go. Um, Obviously, the farther back you go, the more context to the larger themes you'll gain. Do what's practical to your life and above all else, what really truly feels right to you. So now that we've created space for what has been, we can move into the Earthology report about the significance of this solstice, this solar eclipse, and this new moon. We're going to get into all the juicy attunement of what this incredibly powerful next chapter has in store for us. So first, let's talk about what's going on on a pragmatic level. What does this transition, this time mean? for us. What are the kinds of physical and energetic shifts we're going to be seeing in our world? So first I'm going to cover the Northern Hemisphere and then go into a description of the Southern Hemisphere changes. Now these will be kind of brief. 
These are just kind of overall themes, but they will cover some of the most important pragmatic aspects of the seasons and chapters that each hemisphere is going through. So first I'm going to talk about the Northern Hemisphere and then cover the Southern Hemisphere before diving into the juicy and powerful attunement of the bigger energies, themes, power, and influences that will be present for both. So, you know, if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, the Northern Hemisphere, feel free to kind of scoop forward a little bit if you don't want to hear um, what one hemisphere is is going through, <laughs> if it doesn't relate to you. But just know there actually might be some insight in, in each for, for you. And remember, I'm going to try to keep this really brief so we can get into the real deal after this. So in the Northern Hemisphere, the day of the solstice marked the transition of leaving the full light phase of the year and then entering into the decline of the sun, the awakening of the darkness. So our days will slowly be getting shorter and shorter, the nights longer and longer. So from this solstice point until the equinox on September 22nd, we are in what is simultaneously the decline of summer and the very beginning of autumn. Again, it's a transition space. So what does this mean? The first thing that I'm going to say is I want you to go outside and I want you to write about what's changing in your environment. All of the characteristics of your world because your relationship to all these things is going to be the most powerful. The main thing is that we are in the waning of the sun period here in the Northern Hemisphere. It is the very beginnings of a shift in our attention from the external into the internal. Very practically, our days are getting shorter, so there's less and less daylight for the doing space, for the activity space. But at this phase, the shift is very, very subtle. We are not going to be feeling a big shift until around the equinoxes when it really, really becomes a lot more tangible. You know, for this period of time, we are in the full activation space. I call it the last hurrah because it's the harvest. It's the final push of all of the work, all of the learning, all of the cultivation that you have been doing that started back in December with the birth, the spring, and into the full light phase, into the summer, this is where you reap the benefits of your labor. A lot of people call this time kind of the mastery space because you really begin to represent and bring forward all that you are learning in a very, very different way on an energetic level. You know, it's a bursting forward of fire and heat. We are entering the hottest phase of our solar year. But the power of that is that there's a lot of potential for harnessing the power of fire. This can be used for activism, which is so needed right now. This can be used for creative potential and really making sure that what you bring forward in this time is what you really want. There's an element of this time too, we've been in it, but it's going to continue, which is just this kind of sense of exposure and rawness. There's still so much more emphasis on the external because the summertime and this chapter the pre-autumn chapter, the decline of summer, is still light dominant. You know, we're still under a relentless, raw, exposing, somewhat harsh sunlight. And uh, that can definitely be something that's kind of interesting to deal with. It's the time where we're shifting our gaze from the outside inside. So there can be this kind of quality of energy of, you know, it's like the inklings of desiring a vacation. <laughs> 
of desiring to tend to ourselves and to our inner worlds and to our roots. And it's a powerful time of anchoring. It's a powerful time of integrating into our behavior and our actions, all of these things that we have been building into, expanding into, learning, going back to this mastery phase. It's it's it really is the time of deciding what it is that after, you know, taking in all this information, it's like you are now going to create your report and you get to discern what it is you want to keep, what it is you want to bring forward. Yeah, that's a great metaphor. So we're still more focused on the external space than the internal space. This is a time of transition. So, you know, like all spaces of transition, I would say just expect a lot to be moving and shifting. But a lot of the qualities that I that I just described are going to be kind of the predominant uh, things. But again, I want you to define it for you. I want you to use the natural world as a reference point, as a mirror. All right. Anyway, so now we're going to talk about the Southern Hemisphere. So in the Southern Hemisphere, the day of the solstice marked the transition of leaving the full dark phase of the year and then entering into the incline of the light, the awakening of the sun. So there, the days will slowly be getting longer and longer, and the nights will be getting shorter and shorter. From the solstice point until, again, the equinox on September 22nd, we are in what is simultaneously in the Southern Hemisphere, the decline of winter and the beginning of spring. So like I said, to the Northern Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere, I want you to go outside and I want you to write about, I want you to bring awareness to and notice what is shifting in your world. What does this transition space, this waxing of the sun mean to you? What are the plants and the animals doing? What's happening in the weather? What's happening with your bodies of water, your mountains, the plants, the bugs, anything and everything, because that is the most powerful form of knowing. Um, But to speak to some of the generalities, you know, you're still in the winter space, but there is a slight deep kind of stirring that you're going to be experiencing. You're in the decline of winter. So, you know, things are beginning to thaw, even if you live in a place where don't get snow. (laughs) There is an energetic shift towards this movement, this very, very subtle. At this particular stage, you might not be feeling it fully. You might still be totally comfy, cozy in this deep inner darkness, but there is an energetic shift towards the awakening of your roots. There can also be the very beginnings of this expanding up and outward. You probably won't feel this so much during this moon cycle, but I would say that the preceding two moon cycles before the equinox is when you're going to really, really be feeling that. You're still, again, within the womb container, but there is this desire to create intention for form. So with this awakening space on all of the different levels, mind, body, spirit, so who do I want to be? What am I here to do? A lot of seeds and intentions that can be applied to any realm of life. So you're still right now, specifically in this moon cycle, embracing the stillness within the earth, like I said, the deep nourishment and the deep regenerative energies of the darkness. And I encourage you to take advantage of that. (laughs) 
And with that comes this recognition of the deep necessity for the darkness. So this could be a time where if you allow yourself to have the space for it, you can really have a great time in happily existing in the cozy womb space, but knowing that you're going to be moving forward. So you're entering into the light phase, the springtime, which is the moment before the birth, I would say. And so you're going to be feeling a lot of new, a new kind of movement. It can manifest itself in it like a a different kind of pace, you know, especially a lot of places like tropical places, uh, places that don't have big changes between the seasons. I would say that you will notice a different pace in the energies. Like I grew up in Hawaii, so I know that deeply. (laughs) You also might be running into some resistance. There is this tendency of entering into this movement space to just be like, hell no, I don't want (laughs) to. So you might experience a little bit of that. The main thing is that you're entering into the light phase and yeah, you're beginning to come forward. All right, are you ready? So now we're going to be getting into the attuned forecast of this time to come. Like I said before, this forecast is very different than what I expected to come forward for the Sun Harmony episode because I assumed that the big energetic shift was more about the solstice. But the deeper I went into it, the more it became very clear that the eclipse carried a deeper power in terms of the themes of the energies of this next chapter. And that actually the solstice, the solstice energy was more about seeing where it would be affecting us and also the time frame. And then you throw in the new moon and there was a whole other dimension to look at, but mainly that it was the combination of all three that was was what needed to be talked about. So to reword what I just said, just to make it a little bit more clear, it was the eclipse energy that is the what is happening. And the solstice energy is the where it is happening in our lives and also when it will be happening in our lives because the solstice is a six moon cycle. So it became clear that what happens now will be affecting us over that time space. And then we have the Newman energy, which was just another reaffirmation of this completely new space that we're in and powerfully represented the held space of the first chapter of this universal and global potential of transformation and evolution. To understand the power of what's happening, we need to break down each of the components. So let's start with the eclipse because that came forward as kind of the biggest energy. So this was a full solar eclipse, which in itself is always a big deal when the moon conjuncts and blocks the light of the sun. But what was special and extra powerful about this eclipse was that it was a ring of fire eclipse, also known as an annular eclipse. So this happens when the moon's distance to the earth, which is currently, it's too far away from the earth to result in a full solar eclipse. 
But what happens is it produces a bright ring, which is the sun disk shining from behind the moon, and that remains uneclipsed. So it keeps the sky just bright enough to kind of squelch any view of the stars and most of the planets. Metaphorically and energetically, it's oof, it's so, so powerful. So this eclipse was visible for viewers along kind of a very narrow path that runs through Central and Northeast Africa, Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, Northern India, Southern China, and Taiwan. And there is something so powerful about that as well, but I'm not going to get into it. Sufficient to say that where a celestial event is visible does carry an additional energetic charge and effect. And that's all I'm going to say about that. So like I said, we need to break this down in order to understand it. I always want to reinforce though that your connection and interpretation always supersedes what I say and how I relate. My expression of all this is to just create some context and for some, perhaps some insight. So let's start with the energy of the moon, this energy that is eclipsing the sun. So what is the moon? The moon can be so many different things, such as it is the sovereign of the darkness, of shadow, of the emotional realm. It is the watery realm. It governs the oceans. It governs the womb. It is the power of the womb. The subconscious, it's also the unconscious. It's the Shakti force, the yin force, the restorative, the potential. It's the energy of the dark phoenix, (laughs) the embodiment of constant life, death, rebirth. But mainly, you know, it really involves our inner realm, our inner knowing. So then we have the sun. The sun is the sovereign of the light of the external realm, the fire, the spark of creation, the young force, uh, Shiva, ego, conscious mind, the, the doing space, the activity space. It is the revealed, the expanded space. It is expression, being expression, manifestation. It is form, a seed, outward appearances, life force. Oh my God, I could go on and on, but you get it, right? One of the ways to view this is that these two major energetic forces, these two celestial bodies, and all that they represent, all of their power, all of their influence, all of their energies came together. The moon and the sun aligned, and the moon conjuncted the sun. That is, that the moon came in front of the sun. But what's really interesting is that, again, it was not a total solar eclipse. It was an annular eclipse or a ring of fire eclipse. So rather than completely blocking out the light of the sun, the moon allowed for the sun's light to still come forward. So what we see here is a really powerful image of a particular harmony, a particular balance and union of the internal and the external realms and spaces and energies. This was a major declaration for the power of the inner realms, our inner truth and our inner being that can no longer, (laughs) can no longer be denied, can no longer be repressed, can no longer come second to the external world of appearances, the material, the ego, the masculine. I mean, do you feel that? (laughs) 
Now, of course, it's important to say that, you know, ring of fire or annular eclipses have happened in the past. And I think, in fact, one happened last year. We can see them as a moment of deepening of the harmonization between our inner and outer selves. Now, this one is particularly powerful because it happened both on a new moon and the solstice, which magnifies and in a lot of ways marks a great chapter for this particular eclipse. In other words, this was a major beginning of the collective shift towards the reintroduction of the yin force, the feminine, the internal into our overall holistic being in a completely different way than we've ever embodied, that we've ever experienced before. So again, this represented a very powerful moment of union between our inner and outer selves, the inner and outer energies. These two aspects that make up the whole of human beingness <laughs> have for centuries of hierarchical, gosh, industrial, capitalistic, patriarchal programming have been at odds, have been disassociated from each other. Our way of life, our society's priorities have consistently encouraged us to not only disassociate from mostly the internal level, but also disconnect from our inner knowing and has placed all of the emphasis for the most part on the external, on linear thinking, on appearances, on external achievement, etc., etc. Structures and ways of doing things that are not coming from within, but are coming from a rational, linear way of being. This paradigm has widely and deeply valued the external over the internal, and almost more importantly, has validated that we could separate our inner and outer worlds, that we were separate, that we could compartmentalize our being, that we could conform to dualistic being. And we have conformed to dualistic being, but it's not working. We have conformed our language, our philosophy, our ways of relating to self and others in this dualistic paradigm that is contrary to our actual being. And you know what? <laughs> We've known this for a while. We've been slowly building to it and it will probably continue to evolve and move, <laughs> but we cannot do it any longer. It's not working. There is massive toxicity. There is massive imbalance and illness associated with this way of being. So all of this speaks to the potential of this time. We have the opportunity to harmonize these different parts of ourselves that have been disassociated, disconnected, conformed into dualistic being to bringing them back into greater harmony. This includes becoming aware of all the different layers, all the different ways where we, where you have been oppressed. Time to bring it forward. Time to look at it. Time to process it. Time to integrate whole being. Time to heal. Time to embody holistic being. Oh my God, what else? Well, this is pretty incredible. Like I said before, I mean, this happened on the new moon. You know, that's a space of new beginning of the internal realm, new energy within 
the inner space of knowing and being. And this occurred on the summer solstice, which is a transition space, a new beginning of the solar realm. So everything kind of aligned for new beginnings. So what does that mean? I mean, it means that we are ready on a deeply integral level for a whole new chapter, a whole new way of being. This is the time. And it also means that the sun cycle, the moon cycle, both energies are supportive of our transition. I mean, it is all there. And the last thing that I just want to bring awareness to again was that this was an annular eclipse. This was a ring of fire eclipse, which is a very powerful declaration and almost representation of the fact that this was not a complete domination of the internal over the external. You know, uh, like I've said several times probably at this point, you know, you can't just have one without the other. Um the internal space held space for the presence, the light, the wisdom of the sovereign of the light. It still welcomed the light and made space for the light. It's so hard to talk about this without creating, like using dualistic uh, language that creates separation. But I think a way to think about it would be like a yin and yang symbol. There is not necessarily a separate entity, but a blending of energies. There is something to be said about boundaries in the gradients of consciousness and the gradients of being. That's a whole, that's a whole other thing. But like I'm saying, like it's not separate. So, so within this eclipse, there was space. There was a blending of both of those realities into a harmony, into a singular being. We are really getting out there. (laughs) So I use the word harmony again and again and again. We need both the light space and the dark space for harmony. And I use the word harmony because I think it's a perfect representation that goes beyond a dualistic language, dualistic thinking. So for example, you can have an orchestra that creates a song. When you listen to the song, you you participate in the harmony. So again, to say that this happened within hours of the solstice, gives us an understanding of where in our lives we are going to be exposed to these energies of change from the eclipse. In the northern hemisphere, we're going into the shadow space, into the inner realms, into the womb, into the death, into the unconscious subconscious. So that's generally where we're going to be exploring a lot of this. Now, in the northern hemisphere... You will be in this initiation within the space of the light, of creation, of outer being, action, life, force, spark, ego, character. You know, the world is going to be going through this simultaneously of integrating light and dark spaces into the whole of this new space. The solstice did another thing. It also gave us a time frame. So like I said, the solstices are six moons apart. So get ready. (laughs) This is going to be the dominant energy over the next six moons. The number one communication that came through 
so intensely was how deeply, deeply personal this time is for every individual. Every person right now is going to be confronting their life story, their lineage, their family, the sum of their experiences that have led them to where they are now. That's what they are going to be. That's what we are all going to be confronting within ourselves. It's infinitely dynamic and intricate. So it was kind of interesting because when I was attuning to, you know, the collective energies for this uh, report, I <laughs> I got like bombarded with energy. It was almost like I was seeing everything. But what that meant was it was like I was seeing nothing. You know, when when you see absolutely everything, it's like, well, how do you speak to that? And I had to sit with that for a while because at first I went into major judgment uh, about that. And I was like, something's wrong with me. I'm not seeing this clearly. But then I was sitting with it and I realized that the communication was actually totally clear, that it wasn't about necessarily talking about the collective themes because there were an infinite number of them. It was actually about bringing awareness to this sacred time that we are all going to be deeply, deeply personally processing and resurfacing and reharmonizing many different parts of ourselves. So in this report, I'm going to talk about the bigger process, that that process. I feel like that that's going to help serve people navigate this deeply intense and transformational time um, the best. So when I was sitting down to write everything out, um, I had this intuitive feeling to pull some tarot cards, which I don't normally do. And it was super duper fascinating because all of the cards that I pulled were deeply, deeply poignant. And the card that I pulled for this next chapter, which is a big one, I pulled the hanged man and the hanged man is a card that shows a man suspended from a t-shaped cross made of living wood and he's hanging upside down viewing the world from a completely different perspective and what's interesting is his facial expression is calm and serene which you know in a lot of interpretations suggests that he is hanging in this position by his own choice he also has a halo around his head, which I've heard a lot of different interpretations of it, but in a, in this particular case, I feel like symbolizes new insight, awareness, kind of a new phase of enlightenment, um, understanding, not enlightenment as like ultimate enlightenment, but new understanding. Now his right foot is bound to the tree, but his left foot remains free, bent at the knee and tucked kind of in behind his right leg. His arms are bent with his hands held behind his back and he's forming an inverted triangle. And in one interpretation, it's said that the hanged man is the card of ultimate surrender, of being suspended in time and of martyrdom and sacrifice 
to the greater good. There, <laughs> there is so much to unpack just from that. In particular, I just want to bring attention to the fact that it is his left foot that is free and also an inverted triangle. Uh, the left side of the body is the feminine side, according to many different traditions, and the inverted triangle is the symbol for the feminine. It is the chalice. So again, it's about ultimate surrender, being suspended in time and of martyrdom and sacrifice to the greater good. I heard this quote that said, what got you here will not get you there. (laughs) And I think that that is a very good mantra for us to kind of keep in mind. This time really is about new perspectives and being comfortable with being uncomfortable about what is new, that sometimes there is a particular level of sacrifice, there is a particular level of learning, especially, you know, incorporating the internal self more into our lives. It's, it could very well be a very emotional time where our experience of emotions are going to be kind of all over the place or new or very intense or very raw or who knows the whole spectrum of things but it's going to be really different and we have to be really open to whatever that might look like what got you here will not get you there (laughs) it sounds so innocent but what we're really saying is everything that we think we know, everything that we think we have known, in so many ways is not necessarily relevant anymore. It's really time to see the world from a new perspective. This might sound super random, um, but I'm going to make a recommendation right now to everybody to read the book. It's called The Black Swan, The Impact of the Highly Improbable. It was written by Nassim Nicholas Taleb, and it is an absolutely brilliant, brilliant book that really shakes up our conceptions of what we think we know. Um, I think it can be very empowering and healing for us in terms of our current process. Because this is so highly nuanced and so highly individual, I'm just going to talk about some likely things that can come up when we enter a new space. And the first is victimhood versus sovereignty. The concept of a victim is a product of dualistic thinking. The concept of a victim is a product of hierarchical, patriarchal thinking. Because in non-dualistic being, there is no such thing as something outside of you doing something to you that can affect you. Within dualistic being, there is wholeness. Therefore, there is full sovereignty. And what can happen when we have this arising of a lot of old stuff coming up, whether it's trauma, whether it's undoing programming, whether it's, you know, very practical and circumstantial that's shaking up how we have been living, it's very, very easy to go into victimhood. Victimhood can look like a lot of different things and can be experienced in a lot of different ways. But kind of the key essential defining element of victimhood is that we are looking at something outside of ourselves and saying that that has more power over our experience than our own inner power. This is the foundation for the concept of hierarchy. In non-dualistic being, 
there can be no hierarchy. In non-dualistic being, there is no outside and inside. And while it's incredibly complicated, incredibly difficult to even begin to conceptualize, um, the best way that I have come to very simply define it is owning your experience. You are your own sovereign in everything that you experience. And that doesn't necessarily just mean the practical. (laughs) That doesn't just necessarily mean like change your perspective and you're in power. No, it's also a very deeply spiritual aspect of that we are here for initiation of experience, the full spectrum of being. In spirit, there is no good, bad, right, or wrong. There is just consciousness and experience. And our spirit wants to go through all of it. Keyword, go through and into. (laughs) Words, keywords. So it's not about only having positive experiences, only transcendence, only enlightenment. I want to throw in there. It's about full integrated being in all of it. The concept of enlightenment is dualistic thinking. It is a hierarchy. There is unconscious and there is consciousness. While those two realms exist, the true accomplishment is not enlightenment. I could talk a lot about that, but I'm going to move on. The next thing that we can very likely expect to encounter as we are entering a new space is a manifestation of emphasis on who we are, what we are here to do, what we are here to serve. And what that could look like is safety versus purpose. Now the concept of safety just simply doesn't exist. (laughs) The concept of consistency simply does not exist. We can have similar experiences, but we are never going back to the complete same thing. Everything is changing constantly. We might turn towards what we think we know, thinking that it will keep us safe or that it is practical. But within this particular paradigm, that is no longer the case. Because what we are also seeing is that what we turn to in the past for safety created toxicity and divisiveness all kinds of different structures that no longer is working for us. So what we think is safe in this old way of doing things is actually the poison that we are, I shouldn't say poison, but the um, imbalance. I don't know. I don't quite have a word for that. It's not all negative, but it's what we are ready to move away from. I don't want to use a term that is negative because it's not about that the old is necessarily bad. It's so hard to talk about again, bah. but that it's what we are ready to move away from. And we've had too much of this old way of doing things. Another theme that's really going to come to the forefront as we go through this is programming versus truth. We're going to be needing to confront all of the different places and spaces where we have been programmed, where we hold programming. So that's not just externally, you know, from culture, from society, from family, but there's a deeper aspect of that of that goes into our DNA. One beautiful product of this civil rights movement that we are experiencing is that it has brought awareness to the depth of which programming 
can occur. That it's not just cognitive, that it's not just obvious, that in a lot of ways it's it's subliminal, it's systemic. And a lot of people that have been commenting on this that are looking beyond just this one dimensional reality are also saying, look to our DNA. Where is the places and the spaces where oppression has happened in every lineage. And that work is where we begin to really undo the trauma that is at the foundation of all racism, all prejudice, all oppression, all otherism. Now, the initiation with this is that I feel like we're going to be challenged in a lot of different ways to step forward into our truth in a way that is going to continue to be uncomfortable. We are progressively going to have less and less to reference in this new space that is going to demand that we shed the programming because the programming isn't going to work. It's kind of like being shot out into outer space. You know, you can have all of the things that you use to navigate Earth, but space is a completely different reality. And so you would have to implement different methods, different tools, and different materials in order to survive, in order to move through that space in a way that would serve you. Now, the emergence of this internal realm means that we are all getting ready for a big wake-up call about serving purpose. Now, when I say serving purpose, I do not mean it in the this current paradigm's way of purpose, which is what you do. <laughs> purpose is associated with being, just being, <laughs> not necessarily doing. Now, that is a big part of it, and I think that a very big part of what is going to happen when I say that we are going to have to reckon ourselves and our way of living with our purpose is that a lot of people are going to be confronted with what their quote real work unquote is. And that does have to do with how we engage in the 3D, uh, the energies that we channel, but above all else, what it is we choose to serve. What you have to remember is that when you choose a vocation, when you choose an action, when you choose a project or a career, you're also choosing to serve something. It's about service. It's about feeding and nourishing something. There is a lot of work in our world today that serves things that is no longer serving the collective. So we can expect a lot of structures to begin to dissolve and a lot of people that might no longer resonate with subscribing to that particular way of being and that particular type of service. Now, there's probably going to be a very practical initiation. I have seen this with so many of my close friends. <laughs> I'm calling you guys out. The practical initiation of that we are still living within this paradigm that demands that we work and create an income and live a certain lifestyle so that we are taken care of. And that's very, very understandable. <laughs> but I think we're going to be challenged to understand that if we want to invest in real purpose, in real work, in the ways in which we are feeling called to being, that it's going to require us to trust and surrender to a degree to the unknown, 
to spirit to take care of us. Maybe that means not knowing exactly how something is going to come together, but knowing that that's what you need to do and trusting that above, say, what is immediately linear, logical, practical. So this connects to the kind of next theme or point, which is that the internal realm is where we receive intuitive messages and, I don't know, I guess you could call them psychic downloads. But because this is a new space for a lot of people, I feel like there will be a lot of struggling to understand what that all means for them and for, you know, that could be you. The message might seem confusing or your interpretation differs from what you read elsewhere. And what I'm pointing to is this deprogramming of relying on external things before listening to our inner guidance. Our inner guidance is going to be showering us with so much information (laughs) over these next six months. And there's going to be an adjustment period in terms of distinguishing the voices, which is a really, really real thing. You know, it's like, what is my fear and what is my truth? That's a whole thing. (laughs) There's going to be a lot of, a lot of learning and there's different ways that spirit communicates to us. And so we need to learn how to develop develop a level of discernment in interpreting those kinds of things. There's nothing wrong with referencing other people's understanding, other traditions, wisdom, or just a form of external knowing. But the longer that we rely on external knowing, the longer we delay our ability to really invest in ourselves. Right now we are being called to listen to our own inner voice and not the voice of someone else. We are being called to trust that the answers that we need are already within us and to tune into our inner guidance system to hear those answers. The big message here is our inner world can no longer be ignored. And that includes all of the different aspects of our inner world. And that can be really overwhelming. So we may try to bury our feelings deep within our subconscious so that we can avoid our shadow or avoid vulnerability or avoid, you know, an uncomfortable initiation. (laughs) We may not be ready to face our emotions and we can push them to the side and pretend as if nothing is wrong or, you know, pretend that nothing is uh, being thrown in our face. (laughs) And while this strategy might work short term, In all eventuality, we always will need to resurface these emotions and deal with them head on. But I feel like the pliability or the the return rate (laughs) or the, the turnaround time is much, much accelerated now. Now there is a much, much smaller space, a smaller room for us to indulge in that way of being. I don't say this to say that not repressing your feelings is better than repressing your feelings. (laughs) Because the truth is, is that maybe what you need to do is go into a deep repressive state. That might be part of your medicine might not be able to get away with that for long, which actually in a lot of cases, if that is part of your medicine is very good news because that means you can move through (laughs) certain things faster. I guess even that statement in itself is based off hierarchical thinking. (laughs) The human mind that is conditioned to dualistic thinking is always so focused on the end result. (laughs) You can hear it in me right now. 
So, you know, another thing is that a lot of us, with the, all of this resurfacing, there could be, it not could be, it will be very likely that we might find ourselves in quote-unquote, the same old spot. Old patterns, old addictions, old relationships, old ways of being, whatever it might be. And it's really, really easy to go into that, to immediately judge it as wrong, to immediately get overwhelmed and frustrated, especially when it's things that we are in judgment to. (laughs) So if it's something that we think is negative, we'll immediately go like, oh my God, how am I here now? But I also want to apply that to you are in what you judge to be positive things, which while you might have defined them according to dualistic thinking as positive, they could still be part of the hierarchical and uh, patriarchal old paradigm. But what's so funny is that when we are in repetitive behaviors that are pleasant, that we are not in judgment of being negative. We're like, oh, it's fine. This is great because I feel great. Um, (laughs) And, you know, feeling is not a invalid way of judging our experience. Pay attention to it though, because if it's repetitive, it's if it's a habit, if it's a pattern, learn to recognize it and ask yourself whether or not it is serving the old way of being or the new way of being, regardless of how it feels. And, you know, specifically for the places where you are in judgment and you are telling yourself, oh my God, I cannot believe that I am here again. Just know this is not you there again doing the same old thing. This is the initiation. This is the deepening. And the same goes for, you know, what we consider quote unquote positive spaces. We are expanding into those spaces. And what both spaces are showing us is our capacity. So when you experience these things, always keep in mind, especially if you are in judgment of your experience, that it is a deepening. And what we are being invited to do as we become aware of patterns and habits of being is to begin to ask ourselves, is this serving the new way of being? Or is this just serving my comfort zone? Now with all of this kicked up and all of this communication and all of these new spaces, you know, the number one thing that I saw coming up in response to that could be a sense of lack mentality, which is, you know, I don't have the answers. I don't have the training. I don't have the certainty. I don't have the resources, whatever it might be. And that that in itself is a process to go through. There's a lot to learn from going through that way of thinking. I just wanted to remind everybody that, and you know, I would recommend putting this up around your house. You have all that you need. You have all of the answers that you need. Part of this initiation of inviting the internal self forward is that there will be an integration of non-linear knowing. And non-linear knowing is truly infinite. Linear knowing as embodied by the human mind is very finite. But the capacity for non-linear knowing in the human mind is much more vast because it's drawing on not just that which it knows, it's made from an infinite number of different connections that can be made. Um, and it's also drawing on a its access 
to collective knowing. Some people call it Akashic knowing, which is the entire library of human being knowingness that is absolutely infinite. (laughs) So make little signs, put it up around your house. You have all the answers. And even if you don't know how to get to the answers, that's part of it. So with all of this emphasis, even in the way that I'm narrating it on the new as the new being better, just keep in mind that it's not about just bringing in the new and letting go and releasing and just cutting ourselves off from the old way of being. We need to embrace the deepening, which might mean embracing certain habits and patterns and ways of being from the old paradigm and going deeper into them. You know, I don't want to paint a picture that the new is the better, you know, that's hierarchy right there. (laughs) It's about knowing what is going to serve you and to serve this collective movement that we are all a part of. The reason I particularly mention this is because there's a lot out there in spiritual communities today that is about clearing out the negativity and bypassing is essentially what it is. It's like, what is no longer serving you? How can you release it? Rather than seeing it as our teachers, rather than seeing it as our medicine. And because of this positivity Um, obsessed culture that we live in, we can associate all of the things that make us uncomfortable or that are hard, that are difficult, that are challenging, that are painful, whatever it is, to be, you know, oh, I shouldn't be feeling that way. That's the bad. And therefore, they kind of go into this space of, I'm going to clear all the old out clear out the old, clear out the old, clear out the old. And that doesn't necessarily serve us. That is uh, just another form of repression, quite honestly. So this is a lot to handle. And so I just want to make a recommendation for people to understand what pace enables them to consciously navigate space and time and to have the space and time that they need to process, to go through this. You know, maybe you can have a super duper busy lifestyle and still be able to consciously process all of this. I don't know. I don't think many of those kinds of people exist, but really pay attention to how much time and space you're giving to yourself. For a lot of us, I think that this is going to mean embracing the continued pause that certain global realities have created. For example, COVID. But do the work to find out how much time and space you need. And if you can make that the top priority, you will be able to navigate this time in a way where, in a way that is most supportive to you and where you're at. And also, and this is a theme that I'm pretty sure is in most of our reports, As much potential there is to step into this process, there is an equal amount of push and potential to check out, be out, and really disassociate even further. This is a huge process. There's a lot of intensity. There's a lot of movement. And in the same way that with the removal of distractions in COVID um, from a lot of, you know, like going to restaurants and seeing friends, a lot of people just found ways to replace their old distractions with new distractions. And the reason I feel to mention this is because I feel like there's a greater potentiality for 
certain things that keep us comfortable um, and that keep us, you know, feeling safe and not venturing into new spaces to become a lot more toxic and a lot more uh, destructive than they than they have been in the past. It's just something to be aware of as we're navigating this time. So the last thing that I want to say about this uh, major, major chapter over the next six moons involves the awareness that we are developing about a new way of being. And that is the interconnectedness of systemic oppression. And not just systemic oppression within the external structures of our world, as in our you know politics or economic models or social structures, but also in our relationships, our behavior, our ego, the internal side. Oppression perpetuates oppression. It's not necessarily always major moments and movements that defines oppression for groups of people or for individuals. It's often microaggressions, microactions, actions that prioritize ourselves above the collective, actions that prioritize safety above truth, actions that prioritize convenience over giving our money to organizations that does not perpetuate slavery and the destruction of our planet. Our true north of our inner realms that are coming forward is always harmonized to what serves the collective. And what we are being initiated into is number one, validating the internal realm, but number two, externalizing it and representing it in our actions. We have little to no room anymore to not live according to our beliefs. Everything is interconnected and every micro action is connected to a macro structure that will either empower the embracing of our humanity and the service of the collective or will feed the continued disassociation with our humanity and the continued violence and divisiveness and hierarchy and toxicity of separateness. So real quickly, I just want to touch on this moon cycle. We've called this moon the transition moon for very obvious reasons. And this chapter goes from June 21st when we have our new moon to July 19th. The next new moon is on July 20th. So what's important to mention for this moon cycle is that this is going to be our first chapter, our first step into all of this. (laughs) So just be prepared for that. Um, It's not necessarily going to be a huge jump you know, uh, time, space, and movement are always gradients. Um, so generally you can expect to have a gradual building of energy, a gradual building into building up to this, these transitions. The only thing is that energy, um, as opposed to time, space, and movement, energy is infinite. and can operate in an infinite number of ways. So be prepared for some surprises and some unexpected turns. (laughs) But yeah, mostly just that this first chapter, this transition moon is really, um, really just about the first step into all of this. Um, The one thing that I did want to mention real quickly too is that we have the full moon of this moon chapter on July 4th, which interestingly is also a partial lunar eclipse. And uh, if you're living in North America, most of North America will be able to view this. 
Anyway, so that's whew, that's the first Sun Harmony report. <laughs> All right, guys, I'm gonna wrap this up. The last thing that I just want to mention is that I have been feeling to begin offering facilitation sessions to support these times. They would be about taking all of this information and energy, helping you see where you're at, what you're working through and into, and then doing some work to facilitate you having processing and navigating the deep transformations and changes you're going through as consciously and as empowered as you can. Um, So if you're interested, you can DM me on Instagram. You can find us on Instagram at the Illum Collective and or the Earthology Podcast. Follow us for a bunch of information and updates. Ah, and if you're interested in having a facilitation session, let me know. You can reach out to me. So overall, I just want to end with saying, be gentle with yourself. Remember that there is no right or wrong way to go into and through this, but just know it must be gone through. You are not alone. Now is the time to step into the light, the dark, to step into you. I'm sending you guys so much love. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time.